Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Praise be to God. Anyway, it's thankful, so thankful that the Lord has got us here again this beautiful Sunday. And so thankful that God has gathered us together and He's bringing you from SoundCloud or from all over the world, wherever you're coming from. I'm so thankful to have you listening to Gospel Saving Church again. Another beautiful Sunday, the month of July here. And Thank you, thank you, thank you. We just uh, praise God for the opportunity to live for Him and to know Him through His Word. And just uh, so thankful that God is uh, so good. And he is so good to us. If you guys want to join me in a word of prayer, and then I'll get to our message title and where we're at in the Word, and we'll get to studying, okay? So let's, let's, let's pray real quick, and let's ask God to bless the message and uh, help us to hear correctly. And Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here, Lord. Thank you so much for your grace that you offer all mankind every day. Lord, your grace never stops. Lord, you just, until we die... While, while we're in the land of the living here on this planet, Lord, your grace abounds to all mankind. And Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord God, for repentance. I thank you, Lord God, for the knowledge of you. I thank you, Lord God, that there's knowledge of you in everything, Lord God. In all creation, Lord God, there's knowledge of you, and especially in your word. So Lord, I just, oh Lord, I just pray that you open up your word to us today. Lord, help us to understand. Help us to have clarity of mind, Lord, and and keep the devil out of this place, Lord God. Keep the devil out of the minds of the peoples that are listening, Lord God. And I just pray that you would bless this message, Lord. Bless our ears as we hear. And bless our hearts, Lord God, that we may receive what you have to tell us. Please, God. And Lord, we just ask that this message would go forth throughout the whole world. Lord, changing hearts and strengthening your church as well, too. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we love you. And we ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, verses 17 through 25 today. Again, that's Matthew chapter 25, verses 17 through 25. We'll read them in just a moment. After my thoughts from last week's message, the betrayal of Christ by Judas. Last week I mentioned how sad it was that Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. And I still believe that the betrayal of Jesus Christ by Judas was a terrible and horrible thing. Judas was one of the close, intimate 12 disciples of Christ. And betrayal hurts, especially when it comes from someone that is very close to you as Judas was, again, one of the intimate 12 disciples. And I have, be- I have been betrayed before personally, okay? I have been betrayed before by those very close to me. And I can tell you that it was a very hard pill to swallow. Now, you may be saying this. Well, Pastor, and I thought you said last week that Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. And I'll say you're right. Jesus did know that Judas was going to betray him. And, you know, you're probably right. It wasn't that big of a shock to Jesus that Judas did what he did. But I will say this. Although it wasn't that big of a shock to him, I would say that it probably hurt him worse to have Judas did what he did to him or do what he did to him rather than it being a surprise. Why? You may be asking, well, Judas pretended 
to be a disciple. He did all the things that the disciples did. He went the places with Jesus that Jesus took all the disciples as a whole. He took Judas with him too. They were all together. And at a point in time, Judas made a choice to follow Jesus as the other 11 did. But he was the one that betrayed Christ. Now, Jesus being God in the flesh knew the whole time. Don't you think about this now? Jesus knew the whole time who it was that would betray him. And even knowing this, Jesus even even having this knowledge that Judas was going to do this, still had to hang out with him. He still had to eat with him. He still had to allow Judas into his inner circle. And think about this. As they ate together, as they would sit across the table, as we're going to read about tonight, and eat together, Jesus had to look him in the face. Well, every time knowing as he looked him in the face, that's the guy that's going to betray me. Oh. Jesus worked together with him in the ministry. As I said, he did all the things with Judas that he did with the other 12 as a whole, yet Judas was the one that betrayed him. Now, I want, I always like to do this because God gives me this angle, this aspect. I want you to think about something, how hard this might have been for Judas, because I, like I like to, let's say, bring it to a personal level. I want to ask you, how would you feel If you were forced to, because Jesus was forced to, right? Judas was with him. He was part of the 12. Even though Jesus knew it, he was still still in the circle, you know? How would you feel if you were forced to, on a daily basis, for a few years' time, hang out with, eat with, fellowship with, work with in the ministry? The person you knew was going to betray you and stab you in the back and still be kind and loving and friendly to this person as Jesus was. I can tell you, my friends, that I would have a problem with it. I, in fact, don't even know if I would have been able to do it. And I guess if, I think if you were to think about it yourself, you might have a trouble doing this as well too. This whole idea of Jesus having to be with Judas for three and a half years and look him in the face and still know he was going to betray him shows me even a deeper love that Christ had for you and me. Because now the cross, that was the final. What about all the years that led up to it that he knew That this guy, that he saw the miracles, he heard the teachings, sat on the mountaintops with Jesus. And yet, Jesus knew the whole time Judas was going to betray him. As I said, I don't know, as I think about it today, I don't know that I could have done it. I don't know that I could have done it. I don't know that when I was betrayed... I don't know that if I would have known it, 
a few years before. I don't know if I could have continued to work with the people that I knew were going to betray me. Because just how much it hurt. And it must have hurt Jesus when Judas betrayed him. Now, again, for time's sake, those are just, the, those are just some of the reasons why Judas's betrayal of Christ was so sad and terrible as I started this with. Yet I have this last thing to say, though. With as terrible and sad this was that Judas betrayed Christ, I will say this to you and me and anybody listening and every person on the planet. You and I and every person on the planet that's lived since Christ was in the flesh should rejoice that Judas did what he did to Jesus and that Jesus allowed it to happen. Jesus could have not allowed it to happen. And you may be saying, what? Why, Pastor Ed? Why would you say that I should rejoice that Judas betrayed Christ? I'll say this. If if Jesus would have never allowed Judas to betray him, and then in turn that betrayal led to his death by those evil-hearted, wicked religious leaders, Jesus would have never satisfied the sin penalty and been able to offer forgiveness for our sins and eternal life to anyone that would come to him. So every time you think of the betrayal of Judas, of Christ by Judas, I should say, think of how blessed you are that the way of salvation is now open to you. And rejoice that Christ loved you enough, strong enough, to face his betrayer for three and a half years and still allowed him to be with him even after he knew that Judas was going to betray him and he still let him do it and be thankful to God that the way of salvation was opened up for you. So praise God. Praise God and praise God some more. His love for us is unimaginable i can't even doesn't even i don't even fathom the great love that he has for us anyway he turns such terrible and sad things around to be such to be such great things he turns the things that are evil into things that are good anyway let's get on to today's message we uh matthew 17 26 verses 17 through 25 the title of our message is the savior exposes his betrayer Again, Matthew 26, 17 through 25, the Savior exposes his betrayer. Let's read it and let's see what God has to say to us. Starting in verse 17, Matthew 26. Now as the first day of the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he said, Go into the city. To a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. Now, as they were eating, he said, assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He exposes him. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. And each of them began to say to him, Lord, is it I? He answered and said, 
He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. Verse 24. The Son of Man, Jesus says, indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. Ouch. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? And he said to him, you have said it. Wow. So last week, we saw how God had the betrayal of Christ by Judas all planned out. Remember, we looked at the prophecy, right? And we looked at how God actually not only had it, was, had it known or knew about it, but he also had it planned since the foundation of the planet because he had a plan for the redemption of man and he had to make it all happen. And that had to happen, of course, by the betrayal and the murder of Jesus Christ. So you could say then, this is a fancy word. It's not really in the Bible, but the idea of it's in the Bible. But you could say that God then had the sovereign or total control of this event all planned out. Because he did. Because the betrayal of Christ had to happen to fulfill God's plan for salvation to all mankind. It just had to. God said, I love people. People are separated from me by their sin. I want to redeem mankind. I'm going to go. I'm going to pay for the sins of mankind by my death on the cross. But somebody's got to betray me in order to get me there. So I need it all to happen. So boom, it's going to happen. We just talked about that in my intro. The betrayal of Christ having to happen. The word sovereign, no, by the way, just means that God, as the ruler of the universe, has the right to do whatever he wants to and whenever he wants to in the you know world of matter, in space, time, or whatever. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, and nobody stops him. He's the sovereign God of all creation. That's what the Bible says. Uh, just for uh, time's sake, just one scripture to support this. There's, there's a few, but just one. Uh, the writer of Psalms 115.3 says, But our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. And that is true. God, if he has a plan and he works it out, it will all happen. The Bible talks about in Revelations that the end of the world is going to come someday. Well, God is in, sovereignly, is in sovereign control of that happening. He'll allow events or make events to happen so that one day the Antichrist will be allowed to reign and then one day the end of the world will come and he'll make that all kind of happen. There are certain things that God does sovereignly in our world that he has total control about. But some people take this word sovereign and this aspect of God, of the sovereignty of God, to mean something, uh, to mean that God has total control over everything that happens in creation, including every single thing me and you do, period, the end. Is this correct? Is this aspect of God real? Does his real sovereignty in Scripture go all the way to every last little detail, everything you do? The, what, I, what I decided to have for breakfast today? What time I decided to go to bed last night? Eh, that's not correct. Sorry, that's the first strike. Well, you say why? Why is this not the case? Because many believe this. Many believe there's 
there's nothing outside of God's control. So God controls everything that you do, period, the end. Well, if that's the case, my question would be to you, if you believe this or if you've heard people teach this, does God then cause cancer? Does God then cause disease? Does God make heart attacks happen? Did God create ISIS to go and behead thousands of Christians and murder people across countrysides and take over cities and rape innocent, you know, rape and murder children and mothers and, and sodomize guys and do all this evil, do all, the, do all these evil things? Does God make people molest children or sell people into slavery? Does God make that woman who's, who's, who's doubting whether she should have this baby, does God make that woman then make that decision to go have that abortion? And strike two. Because you won't find any scripture that supports this. And strike three. What if we were to all, right now, everybody on the planet decides to go out, you know, we're going to all overeat. We're going to, you know what, let's go overeat and that way we all have heart attacks and we all get diabetes and we all get overweight and we have to be on all this medication and we all get so sickly. Then God then made us do that then too, right? God then, if he's completely sovereign over everything you do, then he makes me overeat so that I can have diabetes and then I can get heart disease. Strike number three. Sorry. You're out. These ideas are ridiculous. And they're anti-Bible. Because we know that the Bible says that God and Christ don't control people to do things like these. And again, you won't find any scripture to find that God's sovereign control reaches into every detail of what you do. Uh, God controlled whether you brushed your teeth this morning or whether you didn't. Now, God control whether you, whether you sped 90, 90 miles an hour down the highway and killed a family of five in a car because you were drunk and driving too fast on the road. I'm sorry. That's not true. Now, the idea of God's sovereignty does include this. God can and does allow most all evil and non-evil things to happen on planet Earth in the aspect of this, guys. He could stop everything right now. God could just say, you know what? I'm tired of everything. Stop everything, so destroy it all. But he's sovereignly in control in the aspect of he allows things to keep going. He allows creation to still continue on. Now, the time is coming, the Bible says, that God will destroy the earth. And he will stop all sin and all evil and everything, but that time hasn't yet come. But just because God is sovereign, which means all in control, and the fact that he allows all creation to continue on, doesn't make him that he chooses to be sovereign or in total control of everything people do, including all the evil that we do, and including all the terrible things that happen in creation. Everybody wants to, I've heard people say, oh, there's a hurricane coming. Oh, why is God doing this? Oh, 10,000 people die in earthquake. Oh, why did God make that earthquake? Eh, that's not the case. 
God didn't make the terrorists jump in the planes and smash into the Twin Towers. And God didn't make the earthquakes happen in all over the world right now and thousands of people die. The Bible says that we live in a creation that's fallen into sin. Romans chapter 8, you could check it out. Where Jesus says in John 14, 30, that Satan is the ruler of this planet. So where does all sin come from? Why does all this evil happen? Why do people hate one another? Well, Satan's the ruler of the world right now. And why do we have all this disease? And why do we have all this sickness? Well, we live in a world fallen in sin. We're all aging. We're all in the process of dying. Unless you're first born at a certain age, you've come to a point where you become of age and you start getting older and then you start to die. I don't know, it's about the age of 18 or 21. You start to die. That right there shows you that we live in a world fallen in sin. God didn't create death. When you, and when you take a step back and you look at all creation and you look at the things that are going on in creation, when you look at all the evil actions of racism, hatred by people, and when you look at the sickness and disease that overrun the world that we live in, Satan ruling the earth and creation falling into sin makes sense. But God controlling people to do evil? God making earthquakes and hurricanes and tornadoes that kill and ravage villages and destroy people's lives? That's not the God of the Bible that I read about. Especially considering that God does no evil. It's beyond him to do evil. He can't even do evil. He can't even tempt you, the Bible says, to do evil. And if he can't tempt you to do evil, then how can he himself do evil when the Bible says that God is a God of love? People sinned, ladies and gentlemen, and decided to follow Satan in the very beginning, and they're still doing it now, and they decided to do it instead of following God. Bringing all sin and all, all bring all creation into a sin death. God didn't cause people to sin. That's ridiculous. But anyway, back to the complete sovereignty of God and the aspect of He controls everything people do and every event that happens on earth. We don't read anywhere in the Bible that God chooses to be in complete sovereign control of everything in all creation, including everything me and you do and every bad or good decision we make. If God was like this, think about this last thing, people would be robots, right? And what about how the Bible tells people that they can either choose a life to live for God and choose a life not to live for God? And if God was chose to be in complete sovereign control or complete control of every action or emotion or everything you did, then that would mean that God would control people's choice to go to hell. God would say, you know what, so-and-so, I'm going to make you choose to go to hell because you know what, you just that's what I'm going to choose for you. I'm in control of your decision whether you come to me or not, and I'm going to choose that you go to hell. And that's ridiculous considering we read 2 Peter 3, 9, where God is, desires none to perish and all, come, all to come to repentance. He wants all people to be saved, not all people to be destroyed or anybody to be destroyed. It's crazy when you dissect some ideas that mankind has made, like the complete sovereignty of God. And interesting when you break them down and you actually put some brain power behind thinking about those things versus the character of God that you see in Scripture. And when you do, 
If you do that, then you'll see that it's amazing that God is uh, not quite the God that you hear some people talk about even in churches. Now, I know I made a wide detour there, but I felt that the Lord wanted me to talk about this tender subject that many people in our world misunderstand. And that this is probably the biggest question of one of the biggest questions of all. Why does all the evil happen? Why does God allow all the evil things to happen? Well, because that's a sin fallen world. God is good. God's desires none should perish. God didn't want anybody to get sick or die, but then man sinned and brought it all upon us. Anyway, detour is over. Now, important note, right before we jump back here, kind of looking at last week's scripture and this one we're going to look at today. Important note, although God doesn't decide to exercise complete control over all mankind, there are times that we do see and read about in the Bible where God uses his sovereignty or total control to make certain things happen and where he makes certain people do certain things like there's somebody had to betray Christ. And somebody, and then because Christ had to be betrayed and he had to die for the sins of mankind, and God made that happen. We do read about some things like that. But, all, important note, as I say that, we only see him do this when there is a greater plan that has to be fulfilled, like the plan to offer redemption to everyone in the whole entire world. And anyway, you know, there's a big debate, and I've had this debate with lots of Christians. Did Judas, did God really choose Judas to betray Christ so that he could die? Or did Judas kind of make that decision on his own? Well, yes, although the Bible says that Judas did this evil thing to Christ, we don't read anywhere in the scripture that God chose Judas to do this evil thing. Judas had his free will to either live for God or not to live for God. And then you say, well, Pastor Ed, who was going to betray Ju- Who was going to betray Christ then? Well, I would say this. Well, the world is full of people that don't want to live for God. Anybody could have chose to betray Christ had Judas not jumped in line and willfully decided to let Satan use him to betray Christ. So no, God did not elect or choose Judas necessarily to be the one that betrayed Christ. Judas willfully put himself out there, willfully went to the chief priest, willfully went to the religious leaders and said, hey, I'm gonna, I want to betray Christ, what will you give me? And he willfully let Satan take him over so that he went and told the religious leaders Jesus' plans. And so he willfully decided to give himself over to Satan and do this evil thing. So don't think that, well, oh, God chose Judas. Is he choosing me for hell too? No, the Bible says that Judas made his own decision to reject Christ and to sell Christ out. Anyway, that's why God decided to be completely sovereign anyway over this betrayal and murder of Christ because it had to happen. If he didn't, then Christ wouldn't have died for the sins of mankind and there would have been no redemption. And if God has a plan, we talked about this last week, if God has a plan, no man or no woman or no child in all the world, heaven and earth, angel or demon or the devil, can change it if God has a plan. Because, thank God that he does. Thank God that he is in sovereign control over salvation and over eternal life because had he not been, the devil would have made it possible for nobody to get saved. The devil would have never made it happen that Christ would have died for the sins of mankind. The devil would have had us all 
burning in hell or in the lake of fire, that's where, that's where he'll be for all eternity. But not only did God have the sovereign control over whether Christ was betrayed and murdered, we also ironically see another point in Scripture right here where God is also exercises his sovereign control over another person. Look at verses 17 through 19 more in depth this time. Let's look at this aspect of God's sovereignty here. Verse 17 in Matthew chapter 26 says, Now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to him, Where do you want us to prepare for you the Passover? Pretty, pretty clear-cut question. The disciples come to Jesus and they're like, Hey, Jesus, we know the Passover's coming up. Hey, where do you want us to make it? You know, Because you know why? We don't have a house. Right? Jesus was basically homeless. He had lots of places to stay, but he himself had no home because of the ministry. So they're like, hey, Jesus, well, where do you want us to go? We don't really have one home. You know, where, where, where do you want us to go and prepare the Passover for you? Verse 18. So he said, listen to this now, go into the city to a certain man. Now, if it would have been somebody that the disciples knew, he would have said, go into the city to, you know, Martha and Mary's house or, or wherever. But then that, anyway, that wasn't even in Jerusalem. That was in Bethany. But he says, but go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and they prepared the Passover. We see here that obviously, the owner of this home did not have a choice whether Jesus and his disciples were going to use his upper room of his house for the Last Supper or not. That very thing that Jesus said in verse 18, Jesus said to his disciples, tell this guy this, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So here we read of God's overpowering the owner of the home's free will by his sovereignty. Remember, God does what he wills and what he wishes in the land of man. That's true because Jesus needed a place to eat the Last Supper with his disciples. And his control over this situation was needed and it needed to be exercised because of, and this is a whole nother sermon, this could be a whole nother sermon, but of the location of, of the where the Last Supper had to be and the Last Supper itself. These things were very, 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 very important. The location of where Christ had to be eating this Last Supper with his disciples and the Last Supper itself. And because these things, there was no choice. God said, hey, but you know what? In this case, did God's sovereign control over this man hurt him? No. This man was told by the disciples, hey, this is where I will eat. God said, hey, this is where I'm going to eat. This is where my son's going to eat the, uh, the, the Passover with his disciples. The owner of the home just said, oh, okay. He didn't even know what he was doing. Just, oh, okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. There you go. You got it. It didn't hurt him. He didn't die. He didn't suffer. He just let the disciples and Jesus, which were harmless people, doing anybody any harm, use his upper room. Anyway, again, whole nother message for a whole nother day. But just know that God's sovereignty was needed in this situation in order to get Jesus to have his Passover with his disciples in a certain place. So there at end of verse 19, we ended up with Jesus, with Jesus' disciples preparing the Passover meal as Christ told them to do in this person's house. Look what happens next, verse 20. When evening had come, he sat down with the twelve. You guys get it? Do you see what I talked about earlier? This reminds me exactly about what I talked about in my intro. 
Notice Jesus sits down with the twelve. His close circle of twelve to eat. Remember I mentioned earlier that Jesus had to eat with and hang out with and do ministry with his betrayer Judas. Well, here it is again. Jesus and all the twelve sat down to eat because Judas was in this group of twelve. And Jesus had to look at him right in the face, knowing that Judas was about to betray him. And it especially had to be hard on Christ because the betrayal of Judas by Christ was about to happen that very night, right after, right after this section. John tells us in John 13 that Judas gets up and he goes out to betray. And then Jesus has the, the, the Last Supper with his uh, disciples. He has the, the Lord's Supper, excuse me. And then they go out and then that's where the betrayal happens. And so this is the moment in which Jesus is eating this Last Supper where Judas is about to go out and do this. And as I said earlier, this had to be hard for Christ to do. It would have been hard for me to do. Let's look at what Jesus does with this situation and how he handles it emotionally. Verse 21. Now, as they were eating, the twelve and Jesus, he says, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Wow. First of all, he reminds them again. Remember, this is multiple times he reminded them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be sold into the hands of evil men, and they're going to kill me, right? So first thing he does, he reminds them again that he's going to be betrayed. But this time, he brings them in on a new clue. A clue that he hadn't quite told them in all three and a half years of his ministry. Jesus is ending the end of his life, and he tells them something he's known probably since he was able to know anything, Judas is going to betray him. He tells them that one of them will do it. It's going to be one of his very own close 12 that was going to betray him. How did Jesus feel? How do you think Jesus felt when he had to say this? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us, actually. But John 13, 21 does tell us how how Jesus said this thing that was going to happen because you know Jesus was a man right and so he said things just like me he had emotion on some things and he didn't have emotion on other things so John 13 21 tells us when Jesus had said these things he was troubled in his spirit and he testified and said most assuredly I say to you one of you will betray me you guys got to remember Christ was a hundred percent God and a hundred percent man. So all the feelings, all the emotions that we have, Jesus experienced those same feelings and those same emotions. And remember, we talked about it last week, him being murdered hurt, him being betrayed hurt. I talked about it earlier today, being betrayed by anybody, especially those that are close to you hurts. Well, Jesus there just showed us that his, even just saying the fact that one of them was about to betray him troubled him in his spirit. He had a human emotions just like me and you. He felt pain just like you and me. He felt sadness like you and me. The Bible says that he wept. 
which means that he's cried. He, he had cried just like me and you cry. The Bible, in fact, says that God's in heaven right now and he weeps over people. The Bible tells us that now God still has emotion just like we do. And he's God and he's 100% God now. He's not even 100% man anymore. So here Jesus shows us that he, he was troubled in his spirit as he spoke to his disciples and said, one of you will betray me. How sad this must have been. How hurtful this must have been for Jesus to say. How did the disciples react to what and how Christ, uh, what he says and what he's about to do here, what's going to happen? Look at verse 22. And they were exceedingly sorrowful. Now this is the 12. And each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? So their reaction here. I can imagine now for the 11, I can imagine, what? One of us? Why, we've been with you three and a half years. Lord, we've, we've laid our hands on people. We, we've spoken to demons and demons have been, you, one of us is going to betray you. Remember, the 11 had no clue. The 11 didn't have any clue at all that this was going to happen. They didn't know that this was foretold. They, they, they had, didn't even know anything about this. They knew that he was going to be betrayed. But what, what would you think if you were a disciple of Jesus and you knew he was going to be betrayed and Jesus had been forewarning you? I would think if I were one of them, well, one of those evil-hearted religious leaders, well, they're going to be the one to betray, you know, to betray Jesus. No, one of us? Huh? I, we love you. We love you. But I only have one thing to say as far as the traitor is concerned, as far as Judas is concerned. Because it says there in 22, then each of them began to say, Lord, is it I? That would mean that even Judas was one of the ones that was saying, Lord, is it I? What? Are you kidding me? Seriously? Judas had just been to the evil-hearted religious leaders and he knew darn well that he was the one that was going to betray Jesus. How evil was this Judas? Think about it. I think that he said this just to make appearances. So think about it. He already knew what he was going to do. He already knew that he had been to the religious leaders and he had sold them out. And now here he's asking, Lord, is it I? He did this just to pretend to be shocked. Judas reminds me here of a perfect picture of a wolf in sheep's clothing, doesn't he? He's pretending to be one of the 12, yet on the side, out away from the church, out away from the disciples, he's going behind their backs and he's ratting out Jesus and he's, he's betraying Jesus to the evil-hearted religious leaders. The Bible also tells us that Judas was also stealing out of their money pot too. So Jesus had, or Judas had an alternate life that the disciples didn't even know about. Okay? But Jesus knew the whole time. Jesus, Judas was never ever really saved he always had an ulterior motive for being with christ and here what an evil hearted man that he was just to make appearances is it i lord is it i like he didn't know are you kidding me now jesus just doesn't come out and name judas as his betrayer but he does look at verse 23 
Jesus answered and says, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. So instead of Jesus answering them one by one, No, you didn't do it, Peter. No, no, it wasn't you either, John. No, no, it wasn't you, Matthew. No, he just says a blanket statement. He says, He who dipped his hand with me in the dish will betray me. But it's kind of a little interesting that Jesus did this because you get it, they all were eating together. Well, they ate communally, which means that they had one bowl to dip and they all had kind of bread. And so they were all, they would all dip their bread in the same bowl. So really all of the 11 couldn't, couldn't really know who it really was because Jesus kind of made it that way. In the Gospel of John, Jesus even gave John, one of his close three disciples, another clue after Peter prompted him. And Jesus told John that the betrayer was the one that he had given a piece of bread to. But Jesus never came right out and told all the disciples who his betrayer was point blank. Hey, one of you guys is going to betray me. Hey, and it's going to be you, Judas. You are the one that's going to betray me. Why? Why didn't Jesus point blank tell Judas and all the disciples right then and there that Judas was going to be the one to deceive him? Well, the Bible doesn't really say, but I think I have a pretty good idea. Think about it. We have Jesus. Then we have 11 guys that are on his side. And we have one guy that's not on his side. Well, think about this. If Jesus had come right out and told all the disciples that it was going to be Judas, with the other 11's love for Christ, do you really think that they would have allowed Judas to leave that room and go betray Jesus? I don't think so. 11 to 1? I don't think Judas might have been that good of a runner. I mean, you know, you think about it. Peter, James, John, they were fishermen. They were in shape, you know. Judas was just a thief, you know. He was just a crook. He was just a betrayer. Uh, You know, he may have been a good runner, but he ain't going to get out of one room with 11 guys that are all against him. And I I would have thought personally, especially with impetuous Peter here now, that Peter would have jumped on him and beat him down. So guess what? Jesus never willfully and purposely told any of the disciples that this was going to be Judas because they would have stopped Judas and then God would have had at the last second get somebody else that was willing to betray Jesus. At the last second, when it already, you know, everything was already kind of in motion, and God would have not been able to redeem the plan, you know, to save man, which he had already rolled into effect with Jesus' betrayal and murder. So, remember what I said earlier, when God plans something, no man can stop it. Did Jesus not telling them it was Judas' work? Absolutely. According to here and according to John's gospel, because Matthew doesn't tell us, None of the disciples figured out it was Judas, and Judas ends up leaving in the end of this section to betray Jesus while the disciples are pretty much left clueless. They're kind of like, oh, who is it? I don't know. Who is it? And then actually in John 13, it tells us that when Judas left, they had just thought that Jesus sent him to go buy something because Judas was the one in charge of the money bag. Again, if God has a plan, nobody can stop it. The disciples could not know it was Judas because they would have Wanted to stop him. All right, back to our event here. Finishing up. So Jesus talks about who will betray him in a roundabout way, but he doesn't give, he doesn't just come out and give the name of his betrayer to them point blank. While Judas, knowing the whole time that he's guilty, 
that he's the guilty party just sits there acting like he's clueless and he knows nothing. Yeah, right. Look at what he says in verse 24. Jesus now. The Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. Jesus speaks, speaks there again about how this event was God's sovereign will by saying the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him, just as God revealed to the prophets of old. The Son of Man's going to die just in that way. Again, he just brings it up again. God's not going to allow any man to change this one. I'm going to go and I'm going to be put to death and I'm going to be betrayed just like I, it, it's been written, just like it's for the foundations of the world. That's what's going to happen to me. Then he gives some harsh words about to the one and about the one who was going to betray him. And he says it had been better for that one had he not been born. Uh, personally, I believe his words here are specifically and right straight at his heart intended for this evil-hearted wolf in sheep's clothing, Judas. Absolutely. Judas, he was warning Judas, hey Judas, it, it, you know what? You know it's you. It had been better for you had you never been born, son, because man, you're going to the flames, dude. You're going to the flames. And that was his big warning here to Judas. Judas was, was heading into destruction. The Bible tells us that because Judas did this, that he's going to be in the lake of the, in hell and in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And there's never any getting out. Does, does Jesus get a rise out of Judas? What happens? What is Judas's, Judas's response to this? Look, look at verse 25. I, absolutely he does. Then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Right to the end, acting like he's stupid, right? Lord, is it I? And Jesus said to him, you have said it. And then again, right after this, John 13 tells us that he leaves and goes and betrays Christ. There's no way on earth, in heaven or on earth, that Judas did not know that he was the one that was going to go betray Jesus. That he was the one. There's no way he couldn't have known. Not on this planet or any other in all the universe. He had just done what he did. And there's no way he did not know. So Jesus gets a rise out of him. Right as this, he hands him this piece of bread. John 13 tells us Satan enters him because he had given himself over to Satan anyway. And he goes out and he goes off to betray Christ. And, and then, the, you know, the end because of his betrayal of Christ, they put Christ to death. And then he dies for the sins of mankind. And, you know, the story goes as it is for the last almost 2,000 years. Now, Judas was guilty of the sin of the betrayal of Christ that led to his murder. And so, he was a murderer. Just as the people that actually did the crime of murdering Jesus, Judas would have been that guilty. The one that sets it up is just as guilty of murder, in God's eyes, as the person that actually does it. And Judas was actually as guilty of murder here as the actual people that drove the nails into his hands and into his feet and those that sold him out and, and yelled for his murder. 
And so, because he was a murderer, his penalty for this sin, according to Jesus, as I said earlier, is a fiery furnace forever. Yet, when Jesus boldly spoke up about one, the fact that he knew that one of them would betray him, about two, that his betrayer, or, or that his betrayer, that it, to his betrayer and, and to the disciples, that it would have been better for him if he had not been born. And three, at the end of the meal, Judas asked Jesus, is it going to be me? And Jesus says, yes. Judas still continued eating his meal with Jesus and the rest and continued to do what he planned on doing for probably a long, long time. What do we see in this? We see an interesting parallel for our world that we live in today. Judas was confronted with his sin that was taking him to hell. And instead of repenting and turning to God, he continued down the path of destruction to the fire, committing the crime anyway, blatantly blowing God and Christ off. Eh, whatever. You know, this is what I'm going to do. 30 pieces of silver, I'm going to do it. Judas had a lot of guts, but one thing he didn't have, he had no fear of God at all. But as evil of a thing as this was for Judas to do to Christ then, we can't just look at him and his actions toward Christ then, because sadly, there are still many Judases in Christian churches today doing the same things toward Christ and God even still today. Well, you say, how, Pastor Ed, how? Well, the Judases of today are still going to church, listening to the pastor preach week after week after week. They hear him preach the word of God. They hear him teach the word of God. Maybe for years, even for years, there's, there's Judases sitting in Christian churches all over the world that have been going there for years. Just like Judas did with Jesus, hearing him teach the word for three and a half years. Hearing Jesus go through God's word and intimately break it down and then sit with his disciples. As, remember, they would come to him and they'd say, oh, Jesus, what does that mean? And then Jesus would intimately break it down because, you know, they cared and they wanted to know. And the Judases of today are still there and they're still doing this in the Christian church of today. They still... Hang out with, eat with, fellowship with, and befriend the Christians and the pastors of Christian churches all over the world, just like Judas did with Christ and the disciples. In a nutshell, the Judases of today are still in Christian churches and still pretending to be Christians and acting like followers of Christ, but then, just like Judas when they go out of the church, when they go away from Jesus, like he went away from Jesus, and away from those in the church, they betray God and Christ by the way that they live their lives. You say, man, Pastor Ed, what? How can a person betray God and Christ by the way they live their lives and be like Judas, betraying God? I mean, Christ is already dead. You can't betray God and Christ anymore, right? You can't do that. He's dead. Well, when they leave the Christian churches and they're away from the people of God, they say that they are Christians and followers of Christ, but they live lifestyles of committing the evils of this world and living in the lusts of their flesh. And that, my friends, 
is betrayal of God and Christ. To claim one thing, to claim that you follow him, but then to go out and go away and live an alternate lifestyle, one that dishonors God, where you just said you love God and you follow the lusts of the flesh and you do the evils of the world, that, my friends, is the betrayal of God and Christ just like Judas did. Look at what the Bible says in this matter, Galatians 5, 19, 19 through 21. Paul writes, The works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry. Think of the problem that the people in the world have with money today. Idolatry. People live their lives for the almighty dollar. They idolize the dollar. They idolize cars. They idolize TVs. They idolize money. They idolize women. And they live for women. Think of this adultery. America and most countries of the world have a terrible problem with adultery. And fornication, sex outside of marriage, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. The world is full of hatred. People hate one another and just for no reason they hate one another. Contentions, jealousies. Why do you think America is the way it is? Keep it up with the Joneses. Ever heard that term? Well, yeah, that's a term that we came up here with here in America because everybody's got to have everything everybody else has. That's keeping up with the Joneses. That's jealousies. Oh, I'm so jealous of what they have. And that jealousy drives them to go have the other things that other people have. Outbursts of wrath. Look at all the hate crimes that we got going on in our world today. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, it's all about me. Dissensions, heresies, envy, murders. There we go, there's a Judas one there for you. Murders, drunkenness. Man, alcohol's on the rise, people are drunks all over the place, but still claiming they love God. Revelries and the like, which means anything like those evil things. And then he tells us here, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past. That those who practice such things will not enter the kingdom of God. God is saying there that no matter what profession of faith you make with your mouth, if you live a lifestyle or practice doing these things, you shall not go to heaven. And then I add... And the Bible adds, and in God's eyes, if you claim to be a Christian and you live in those ways, meaning you practice that type of lifestyle, you are betraying him in Christ in the way you live your life. Are you listening to this message and living a lifestyle of and practicing all the things the Bible just mentioned, but calling yourself a Christian? Then, if that's you, In love, I tell you this, you are a Judas of today. You are betraying Christ and God Almighty by the way you live your life, just like Judas did back in 33 AD. And God sees all. We just read a proverb, I believe, the other night as a family during family Bible time. God sees all, the evil and the good. You're not getting away with anything before God's eyes. He sees it all. He sees all the evil that you do. 
but he also sees that if you really live for Christ. And just as Jesus knew from the very beginning who it was that would betray him in that very end, as Judas lived a lifestyle, even in ministry of three and a half years, of betrayal, stealing out of the money pot, giving a hard time to the people when they came to Jesus, Jesus knows that you are betraying God and Christ by the way you live. The big question today is this. What path are you going to take after this message from God? Are you going to continue to come to church, befriending all the Christians and all the pastors week after week, eating with them, fellowshipping with them, and pretending to be a Christian, and just walk away from what God is telling you today and continue living the life of a Judas on the path of destruction to your fiery end? That's path one. That's the bad path. That's that's the path that I don't want anybody to be on. That's the path that God doesn't want you to be on. If you know right now, man, God, I'm hearing this message, and man, God's speaking to me. I know that's me. I live a double life. In church, I pretend to be something, and on my own, I know I don't live for God. I know I blaspheme his name. I know I live in adultery and fornication, and God's calling you out right now. And you could be like Judas, finally. You can walk out of here. You can stop listening to this message wherever you are in the world. And you could just go on your own. And you can keep doing it. But know that when your end comes, know that when you stand before God, he'll, he'll look at you like he did Judas and he'll judge you to the flames and the fiery end forever. Or are you going to repent are these evils God is calling you out on right now? Are you going to turn to Christ with all your heart and become a real disciple and really start following Jesus Christ with all your life? Are you going to take a step of repentance? Are you going to stop being Judas? And are you going to start being a Peter or a Paul or a John or a James? The choice God leaves in your hands. Just like it was with Judas, he chose the evil path his whole ministry life, probably his whole life. And at the very end, he just kept it off and let Satan have him and chose the path to hell forever. But that doesn't have to be you. What will you do with your choice? Will you continue to betray God and Christ or will you repent? As I said, 2 Peter 3, 9, God desires, 2 Peter 3, 9, excuse me, God desires none to perish and all to come to repentance. So God loves you, and he wants you to repent. But if you don't, your end will be the fiery lake forever as well, too. His desire for you today is that you repent and turn to him and be saved from your sins and truly walk with him as one of his sold-out disciples, being his true friend and his true companion, not his betrayer. If this is you, and you know that you're betraying Christ by the way you live your life right now, please turn to God. Fall on your knees. Get on your face. Cry out to God and ask Him for forgiveness. And tell Him you're sorry for what you've done and how you've lived your life. And then resolve in your heart, God, I'm done. I'm not going to betray you by the way I live my life anymore. 
I surrender my life to Jesus Christ right now. And God, please forgive me of my sins. And God, I need you. Please save me. I realize I'm wrong. And turn your life and turn your heart over him and surrender. Commit yourselves unto the Lord and unto his ways. And turn from your sin. God loves you. But you will burn in hell if you live out your life as Judas did his. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this message, Lord, today. Thank you, Lord God, for your love for us. Thank you, Lord God, for this warning, Lord God, to any Judases that may be out there listening to this message all over the world. Lord God, we cannot live a double life as Judas did. Judas was found out in the end. And eventually, Lord, your word says that every secret thing, every hidden thing comes to the light. Eventually, Lord, all the disciples knew that it was Judas. Eventually, they knew. Eventually, Lord, the people that are listening, if they never turn from their ways of Judas, Lord, eventually everybody will know that they were not really a follower of Christ. I pray, dear God, that you change their hearts before then. Turn anybody that's listening to this message, Lord, turn them to Christ. And I pray, dear God, that you turn them from the ways of Judas, from the ways of the betrayer. And I pray, dear God, that they would come and get saved and be renewed in you and become your friend. God, thank you for all you do for us, Lord, and for all the true and awesome things that you tell us. And we ask these things, and I pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Praise God, everyone. It's Pastor Ed here. and Thank you so much for listening to the message. It's my prayer that you were encouraged and challenged with what you heard today to be a doer of God's word and not a hearer only. Because your life will soon be passed and only what you've done for Jesus Christ will last. If you live in the Dallas, Texas area, we want to invite you to come to our little house church here in McKinney, Texas. Sunday mornings, our service is at 1015 and the directions can be found on our website. Also, if you have any prayer requests or questions or maybe you believe God has called you to support this church financially, please go to gospelsavingchurch.com and click on the appropriate links. I would love to hear from you personally. God loves you very much. Please love him back by the way you live your life. God bless you and have a wonderful day.